This is Founder Coffee. Every three weeks, I have coffee with a different founder. We discuss life, passions, learnings, and in an intimate talk, getting to know the person behind the company. For this 30th episode, I talked to Alan Will, co-founder of Clipfolio, a leading real-time dashboarding platform for small and mid-sized businesses. Straight out of college, Alan started a web design company with two friends that turned out to develop one of the smallest Java runtimes in the world. Took a lot of funding and then IPO'd. He then took the learnings from this venture to start Clipfolio. At first, they built a downloadable widget engine that people used to build personal dashboards, but it was hard to monetize it. Then one day, Lufthansa called because a lot of their employees were tracking soccer scores through their software. And that's how Clipfolio as we know it now began. We talk about how did it all happen exactly, why Alan recently stepped down as CEO to focus on the future of the company, how he was influenced by his dad, and why he dreamed bigger if he was doing it all over again. Welcome to Founder Coffee. Hi Alan, it's great to have you on Founder Coffee. Yeah, thanks everyone, very happy to be here. You're co-founder of, of Clipfolio, for those who don't know Clipfolio yet. Uh, what do you guys do? So we are super lucky to uh, have 11,000 awesome small and mid-sized companies uh, that are monitoring their sales performance, their marketing performance, their support performance. So we're a, we're a real-time dashboard. We're we're BI, you know, for people that don't really have IT teams. Um, so we're really trying to help those small and mid-sized businesses uh, have a real-time view into the performance of their business. Yeah. So if if I understand it well, um, it, you guys changed the market a bit by bringing BI uh, to the cloud and make it a bit more real time and plugging into other SaaS. Is that correctly? Uh, correct? yeah. yeah, I've never really thought of it that way, but I, I think you're probably right. I mean, if I rewind uh, a few years back, I think we probably were one of the first um, B2B dashboard vendors that was in the cloud, not only in the cloud, but also we had adopted a, uh, a go-to-market that was targeting small and mid-sized businesses. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, I don't know how much you know about the, the BI space, but almost all of the vendors, if I go back five or 10 years, all of them were, you know, very heavy sales um, type of uh, approach, uh, very expensive, you know, mm-hmm. mostly on premise. So, yeah, I think we really took that. And, and we actually spent some time in that world as well. But we really took that, shook it up and, um, you know, targeted the SMB with a less expensive in the cloud version. Yeah, no, I, I very well remember those times. Uh, I think at the company I was working, we were using ClickView. Yeah, yeah. There was this this uh, desktop application that you could use. Um, it was quite expensive. It was doable in the in the case of ClickView. It's not like the big IBM systems and all that. Uh, but still, they didn't really like make the shift yet to the cloud. No, and they and they, and they are still they're still struggling. Um, so yeah. many of those, many of those, and I mean they're great tools if you have you know a team of analysts and a team of BI yeah. developers, um, you know, and if you, if you've got the budget. But you know, for a lot of those enterprise-focused companies to come down market and not cannibalize their existing customer base is really really hard. So. Yeah. 
So I, I do think we're, we're in a bit of an envious spot uh, for, for many of those other customers. I imagine you yourself um, don't come out of BI then in that case? Um, no, not really. Um, I mean, there's, there's, there's always so many influences that, that shape somebody's life, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I think the, the one BI influence, I think, is that Cognos is an Ottawa company, and Cognos used to be Canada's biggest software company. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they were acquired by IBM a few years ago. So there certainly is, there certainly is um, a presence in Ottawa, and, you know, there's a lot of BI uh, knowledge and, and world-class thinking uh, that, that we've actually benefited from. Um, but no, I mean, my background is, you know, I, I did industrial design um, at school. I'm, I'm a designer by heart. Uh, I love graphic design. Uh, I started this, another software company in 1996 um, where I did lots of the marketing and the user interface design. Um, and really, we, we, I mean, maybe we'll get into this, but we, we actually stumbled upon what we're doing today um, as a consumer tool and, you know, the entire idea, I mean, I, I don't know if you know, but the company is, the company is really old. Uh, we, we founded this company in 2001. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's ancient by any stretch of the imagination. And, and the original idea was a consumer tool that would help users monitor their weather uh, their stocks, uh, their their soccer scores, their football scores, um, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And and it, we we weren't really thinking B two B. We weren't really thinking business intelligence. Um, what we saw back in two thousand one, two thousand two, was that so many websites were coming online with you know frequently changing news items or or sports scores, and there must be a better way to sort of aggregate that and present that to users. So we had this downloadable widget engine that um, that was immensely popular. We had a thousand downloads a day. Um, we were up to 300,000 users who were using the original personal dashboard, wow. Clipfolio 1.0. Um, and, and it was amazing, but we had we had zero ability to, to monetize that. Um, so it's, it didn't, you know, we had this two-sided market. We, we actually wanted to sell um, our services to the publishers, to the online publishers. Um, and we actually did have some success. We had relationships with um, uh, Der Spiegel in Germany. We had relationships with the Sporting News. Um, the weather network. So we had a couple of relationships that were actually pointing us in the right direction. But for the most part, these online publishers that, you know, were publishing the weather and the news and sports scores and stocks, they didn't have any money. Um, and they were struggling them, themselves with what their business model was going to be. Mm -hmm. So we, we didn't find any traction there. So even though we had hundreds of thousands of users who were monitoring their personal interests using Clipfolio, the flip side was that we couldn't we couldn't monetize it. So uh, uh, that was a that was a big sort of two sided marketplace uh, learning curve for us. Um, but it did sort of it catapulted us. It sort of 
uh, establish the, the, the brand name uh, in the market. And I actually think to this day, we might still be benefiting from, you know, that, that brand awareness that we had uh, 15 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, you were very popular with, uh, with the soccer scores mostly, or did I misunderstand that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and there's a funny story about that because eventually, um, so, and we actually did have, so FC München and, and Barcelona, they all had, they all had fees. Now they were not willing to pay us for these fees, but you know, they also had XML and, and RSS fees. But the funny story or the opportunity was that um, this is, it was through the soccer scores that we actually landed our first enterprise or our first paying business customer. Um, and this is, this is a couple of years later and Lufthansa contacted us. And I remember it was, it was about 4, 4 p.m. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, I'm sitting at my computer and I'm, I'm just, I'm struggling because we're not making any money. And we get an email from Lufthansa, from their, from their IT department. And, and it was in English and it, and it said, many of our employees are using Clickfolio to monitor their, their football scores. Um, can, we, can we use Clickfolio to push business information as well? So, um, Within a night, within 24 hours, we had, we, you know, we of course said yes. Um, mm -hmm. We had developed a, a pricing model. Um, and I forget what exactly what we charged, but we, we actually set it up as a recurring revenue model. This is in 2004. We set it up as an annual payment. I think it was $35,000 annually. Um, and Lufthansa said yes. And, and that was our first big pivot um, that landed in our lap. Um, it was an overnight pivot that, that landed us a business client. And from then we went on to, to close deals with Staples and with, uh, with Intel and with American Express and H&R Block. Um, so that was, that was a big moment in the, in, in the history of the company. Did that, did that immediately make you decide to switch the business model or did you still go on for a while with the consumer? Uh, we, well, we did, we didn't sunset it. Um, but from a, from a revenue point of view and from a salary point of view, uh, you don't have much choice. Um, mm -hmm. you know, if, if you're facing death and can't uh, pay your bills, um, and all of a sudden you found a vein that is willing to sustain life. Um, the choice is pretty easy. Now I remember on our website, we still had Clipfolio personal uh, and then we had Clipfolio enterprise. And we actually even had a third one as well. There was a, a brief time where we were um, trying our best at selling rich internet applications or, or branded desktop applications. So we would develop these very custom desktop applications that would stream news uh, down to uh, a user's desktop. Um, and we made some money with that as well. The problem, the problem was is that each of them were so unique that it wasn't productizable. We couldn't use it for the next customer. So uh, we, often, we often called that dirty money because uh, it yeah. wasn't money that we could build the business on. It was services revenue more than anything else. Um, but yeah, we, we, we did have, we had basically the personal side and the consumer and the, and the enterprise side. And, 
And I always caution, um, I always caution startups or entrepreneurs when they have multiple different uh, target audiences, you know, early in their life, because it, it is, it's difficult. It, uh, it really um, makes the buying decision and the, and the, uh, uh, you know, who you're absolutely for, you know, who you're targeting, it makes it much, much muddier than it really should be. Yeah. What, what, what would be your, your advice to these people who have different types of audiences? Like how should they deal with that? At what point should they make a decision? Um, I mean, first of all, it, it, it comes with a realization, right? And I think many times, uh, especially technologists, um, feel that the thing that they have built can really be applied to 10, 12, 20 different markets, different types of customers. Uh, you could use it to do, to do the A, B, and C. Um, but that is so difficult because when you're targeting a customer, that customer wants to know that you have reference customers that are in their own space. They want to make sure that you are speaking their language, that you have depth uh, in their field. So it really takes a tremendous amount of energy to, to focus on one particular market. So as a young as a young company, absolutely pick the one that you're most passionate about. Pick the one where you have some early traction, and then just double down on that as much as you can. Um, and then as you grow and as you have the support staff to be able to diversify, that's when you could potentially do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. In the, the beginning of Clipfolio, what was kind of your idea? Why did you start the company? What was your motivation there? So I started, I started another company in 1996. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and we were, we were straight out of university. It was me and two other friends from university. And uh, we it was a massive, massive learning experience. Um, we, we actually started by just developing websites uh, for, for customers. This is in 1996. And a lot, there was a lot of need for, you know, mm -hmm. business coming online to develop websites. What, what we didn't realize is that in developing these websites, we had also developed one of the smallest Java runtimes in the world. And that was what eventually grew the business and got funding, et cetera. Uh, and we actually, in that first business, we raised much too much money. Um, and, and it created all sorts of problems for us. The company actually did do an IPO, but, but it was sort of a forced IPO. Um, and when I started Clipfolio, I really wanted to have a take take that learning, have a fresh start, you know, start a simpler business. But what I also saw, and as I as I mentioned just a minute ago, what we saw were all these all these people that were monitoring five or six or seven different things on a daily basis. So that that was the opportunity. We saw XML and RSS starting to grow. Uh, into the mainstream. So we really, and broadband, of course, as well. Most people have broadband internet access. So all of those things sort of came together. And, you know, that was what we were passionate about. We were passionate about, you know, helping as many people as possible monitor the things that were important to them. Um, mm -hmm. now it's moved from personal to business, but that, but that spark or that passion of, 
helping people monitor the things that they care about um, is still very much alive. Yeah. You, you mentioned you started off straight out of university. That means you never had a, let's quote unquote, real job then? Um, I, had, uh, I had some co-op jobs. Um, but, but you're right. I mean, even, even as a, even as a, a teenager, um, you know, I always, I always had my own jobs in summer. I, I you know, had a, a lawn mowing and, and pool maintenance company. Um, I was actually, I was big into, uh, as a kid, I was big into remote control cars. And I ran a summer camp for uh, local kids on, you know, how to fix and, and race these cars. Um, I got into reselling, you know, these these model cars. Um, I, I've always I've always loved creating things, um, building things, and 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 even though it sounds silly, because I'm 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 a designer by heart. One of the things that actually really attracted me was the brand and the logo, and you know, creating something that had meaning. Um, so. Yeah. So there was, there was always sort of a, a multiple passions there, but I've, I've always loved that. I, I don't know what else I would do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's something that unites a lot of, at least at least software entrepreneurs, the, the urge to build something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because I do, I do think about it often. And, um, you know, I don't know what you're like, but you know, if, if I'm, if I'm at home cooking on the weekend or, or, or in the evening, I have a real difficult time following a recipe. You know, I, I almost can't follow yeah. the recipe and I need to, I need to somehow do something slightly different. There's an urge. There's a, there's a real deep, you know, so, and it's exactly the same with, with business or life. Um, like there's a curiosity and, and a want to, to, to do something different as opposed to, you know, following the steps. Yeah. Well, I, I can do both. I think I can follow a recipe. I, I prefer different recipes, like <laughs> recipes yeah. that are different from the normal ones. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I struggle. I, I have an inability to follow instructions, you know, yeah. like I'm having a beer and I'm cooking and I think, oh, I'm going to add a little bit of my beer to this, this recipe. <laughs> it's just, I can't help it. That sounds like alcohol is alcohol <laughs> rather than... Uh... I hope not. I hope not. So <laughs> that's funny. So like, it sounds like you, 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 you're into startups. You've, you've started in it. You, you're never going to do anything else. Were you somehow... Um, influenced by anyone while being at university to to do this, or you just felt it was the right thing to do and you went into it? Um, I don't know. I mean, obviously, you know, growing up, I, I definitely did some things. But my but my my father also had uh, also was an entrepreneur. So my my father worked for um, a Swiss bank. He worked for a Canadian bank for a while. Uh, for some other big companies, but then eventually he wanted to start his own company. Uh, and that's actually why we, 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 lived, we grew up in Switzerland and we moved to Canada. My mom is Canadian. We moved to Canada because it was easier to start a company in Canada. So my dad actually did have his own company uh, that he grew uh, and he struggled with, um, you know, and, and he survived. Um, so I think that, 
that probably had an influence as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Sort of, uh, you saw your dad doing what he was doing and you thought, oh, I can do that too. Not work uh, for someone else. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how much of an influence it had, but, but it must have, right? Um, yeah. I remember, you know, like around the, the, the dinner table at night, um, you know, he would be thinking about things and how do we attract these customers and how do we price things? So, yes, I think that that dialogue and that creativity um, influenced me. Yeah. Now, now with Clipfolio, um, if you look at the way you run business and the direction you want to take the company, is there any specific things about that? Like the way you look at, uh, I don't know, bootstrapping versus VC funding, the, the way you uh, uh, interact with employees, work with employees? Yeah. I'm a, so, I mean, there's a couple of questions there. So... Let's let's tackle the first one about venture or bootstrapping. Um, I am a huge fan of bootstrapping um, and and starting out in a bootstrapped model. Um, I think, unfortunately, you know, if you look if you look ten or twenty years ago, the venture industry was really not existent um you know maybe maybe we sort of start, saw the first wave of it during the, the dot-com um boom but but really if you look if you look at a lot of entrepreneurs today and you ask them you know well how are you going to get started very frequently they will say i'm going to do a few things but then i'm going to raise some some funding or I'm going to you know, raise my seed round. Um, and those things happen very early on in the, co uh, in the company's life cycle. And I think that's often a mistake. Um, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs have uh, uh, unrealistic, unrealistic expectations on how much they can raise, and they don't understand what dilution is going to do to, their, to, to the future of the ownership of the company. Mm -hmm. So... I, I really am a huge fan and I, and I massively respect companies that have been able to um, prove out a product, um, you know, maybe pivot one or two times to really find, uh, find a growth uh, pattern uh, and have gotten to a point where they have a tremendous amount of, um, of, of respect for the customer, for the cash position, for efficiency. And I don't think that you get that if you take too much money early on. Um, I think you really need to work through a few of those things, have leverage, see growth, and then only if you have if you have the ability to accelerate the business through capital, that's the only time that you should take uh, take funding. You should not take funding to prove out an idea. And yeah. I think a lot of customers or a lot of um, VCs invest in companies like that and take a huge chunk of the equity. And a lot of uh, early founders see that as a way to, uh, to pay their salaries. Um, and and I, I, you know, do as much as you can um, and potentially even don't take funding at all. Uh, I mean, there's some, there's some amazing stories of big companies like, like Atlassian, who was incredibly cash efficient. Um, and grew and grew and grew and only took funding, you know, shortly before they did an IPO. 
So I think there's, I think there's definitely ways to do it. Uh, and I would advise that, you know, 80% of the companies are not companies that should have venture backed uh, funding. So, mm-hmm. so definitely, uh, definitely I, I like the, the approach that we took. We did, you know, f- for the first 12 years of our, uh, of our life, uh, we bootstrapped and we bootstrapped because we didn't have a model that was fundable. We, we simply didn't, we hadn't figured it out yet. Um, you know, if we had put cash in, venture money into the, the, the company in the first 12 years, uh, it would not have accelerated. It, it would have prolonged maybe our life, but it would not have accelerated the business. Um, it was only, we only took funding uh, and we've now done a seed, an A and a B round. We only have taken funding when we could prove that the dollars invested would accelerate uh, an already existing model. Mm-hmm. I, think that, I think that's really important. Yeah. And then what, what was your other question? My other question was about working with employees, the way you look at that. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, so we've, we've grown to about um, 100 employees, which is, which is amazing. And, and they're amazing, amazing people. Um, we very much have a, a face-to-face culture. Uh, I know that there's a lot of, uh, a lot of companies that are uh, very successful at doing a remote culture as well. But I think you have to, you have to choose. Um, you have to choose whether you're going to be remote and you have to invest in the technology uh, or you invest in a face-to-face culture and you invest in those type of inter- that, that type of infrastructure or, or office space. So we've got an amazing team. We've got a relatively flat uh, hierarchy. Um, we spend a tremendous amount of time uh, with engagement and, uh, and culture, values, our guiding principles. We're very transparent about the, uh, the state of the business. Um, we run employee surveys and uh, we run um, these, uh, these little Slack questions that we, that we get out to all the employees as well. Uh, so we're very transparent about all of that. Um, and and we're, we also are very collaborative. So we make sure that, you know, when we're designing new marketing campaigns or looking at sales processes or designing the roadmap or, or determining what the roadmap is, uh, we, we take very much a design thinking approach and, and have collaborative and, and multifunctional teams that, uh, that uh, participate. And I think that's important. I think that that really builds respect. Uh, it builds inclusion. Um, and, and I think, and I think it works. I think our employees have really valued that, uh, that transparency and that inclusion. Uh, we have incredibly low turnover, um, which I think is a result uh, of that. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty honored to, to sort of sit among, you know, all of these amazing people. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think the culture is a reflection of maybe something that we started, but it's now it's now bigger than you know just the founding team. You know the culture is now really it's embedded uh, and the values are embedded, which I think are uh, is really important. Yeah, I I read about like half a year ago I think that you stepped down as the CEO of Clipfolio. Yeah, what that's right. Yeah. Behind that decision. Yeah, no, for sure. So that started that so that announcement came about you're right about six months ago. 
But we started thinking about that and, and putting plans in place probably more like a year, maybe even 15 months ago. So as the company grows, um, I think it's important to always not only assess who your manage, management team is, who your leadership team is, which we do when we have you know, hired a new CPO, we've hired a new chief of strategy or head of strategy. Um, but I think as a CEO, you also need to always qualify, are you the right person to, to continue doing what you're doing in your current role? Because, you know, I think that there's a saying, what got you here may not necessarily get you there. So very much the same thinking. One of the things that I really, really enjoyed uh, and do continue to enjoy is the vision of the company. Where are we headed? What are the market uh, forces? What are the big trends? Um, you know, what is the roadmap? What's the culture of the company? And so much of my day was starting to become just administrative, um, you know, working with the board, um, you know, a lot of things that prevented me from really executing on the things that I, that I loved or really enjoyed most. Um, so we, we started evaluating that. And, and one thought was, well, you know, maybe Alan, you should bring in a COO um, as somebody who takes some of that. Um, or maybe you want to have a CEO president type of relationship. Uh, but then, but then we found, then we found Owen uh, probably about nine months ago. And um, we actually really liked him. He was, he was very complimentary to me. He's much more of a, a, a tactician, uh, a process oriented leader. Uh, and I think that's exactly what we needed to take the company to the next level. So somebody who really sits in finance, understands board, the board, um, can really put process and, and scale in place for us. And that alleviated my role. And I, I'm now, I'm now uh, the chief innovation officer um, to really do the things that I love most. So I think, that's, I think it's great. I really enjoyed it. Um, it's actually given me less, less stress and allowed me to think more about the future of the company, which I think is important and was lacking. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so yeah, this has been, it's been really, really good. And, uh, and I've really enjoyed working with Owen. Yeah. Sounds like a perfect, uh, lifestyle choice, I would say. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can, you should, you can ask my wife, <laughs> she has <laughs> said that, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's more of a balance, uh, in my life. Um, you know, I mean, as the founder of the, the or co-founder of the company, I don't think you ever stop thinking about the company. Um, and, you know, every everything that you do, there's always a parallel or there's always something that you're learning that you can take back to the company. But not being CEO anymore, um, but rather focusing on innovation and, and the future of the company. Uh, has given me a, a different balance and a different perspective, which I think is positive. Yeah. What is it now that keeps you up at night lately? Um, I think what keeps me up at night now is is figuring out where where do we fit in a very quickly changing market dynamic. Um, so we used to be we used to be really the one of the only players in the small and mid-sized business dashboard space. Um, 
you know, there was there was Gecko Board who we who we competed with, and and I know I know Paul Joyce, the CEO there. I know him quite well. He's a great guy. Um, you know, there was a couple of other players that were toying with the the SMB space, but really, I think we we were the we were the dominant player inside of that space and one of the only ones. But all of a sudden, there's a lot of other players that have become interested in the small and mid-sized business market. Now, there are, depends on how you count it, there are 50 million to 100 million SMBs globally. You know, so 100 million if you count China and India. Um, there is room for 20 winners in this space, plenty of room. But nonetheless, the market is changing. So what do we need to do to really be a leader, to leapfrog some of the competition, uh, to be truly seen as innovative um, and really deliver value? So those are the things that, you know, I'm now concerned about. And actually, right after this, right after this chat, I'm actually joining a, um, a two and a half hour meeting where we're talking about what we call Vision 2022. Mm-hmm. That's really, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that's going to drive our short-term to medium-term roadmap. So those are the things that that, that keep me up at night now. Um, you know, what are the market forces? What are the big trends? Um, you know, and how do we how do we uh, how do we benefit from those? Yeah, sounds cool. Are there any people working for you in the? Um, is there like a sort of innovation department, or are you sort of in a? No, I would call it. Are you? Do this yeah, thing? so I would I would call it, and we have lots of these. I would call it more of a guild. Uh, so again, mm-hmm. I have people from various different departments um, who have an interest in innovation. Yeah, we're working to, to, together as a, as a team. They report to their own managers. But again, these are the folks that I want to draw in who are themselves influencers, who are thought leaders. Um, I mean, one of the, and it's, it's, it's really cool when you, when you start working with these people from different departments. One of, the, one of the guys here actually did his master's degree in something called speculative design. I had, I had never heard of this before, but this is the, this is the study of what the future is going to be like and what the probability of certain things are inside of that future scenario. So, you know, I've got some amazing people that, that are working with me and, and uh, you know, helping me. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very cool. Cool. How, how did work life balance basically change from before and, 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 and after uh, are you working more than uh, than eight hours or 10 hours or? Um, it's, I mean, it's blurry, right? Um, it's blurry. I, I would say I've, I've never really worked only eight hours. Um, and I would say I, I also have never worked 24 hours. Um, no. But, you know, you, you, you you know the story. The story. I, story. I had. I have two. I have two girls. Um, mm-hmm. uh, ten and and ten and uh, no, sorry, twelve and fourteen. And you know when they were younger, uh, I would go home and I would read them bed, bedtime stories. And 
you know, even though you're completely focused on on your your your, your child and, and you're enjoying the moment, you're reading a story about some princess and a unicorn, and and it background, you're processing things that are happening at work. And and this children's story sometimes helps you solve those things. Um, <laughs> you know, so you never really turn off. And, and I actually don't know that it's different now uh, either. Um, I mean, I work very closely with Owen and, and, uh, and we complement each other. Uh, I think there's perhaps, perhaps a, a shared level of stress. Um, so I think the things that I do uh, perhaps are, um, you know, they're less urgent maybe, or less, um, less, uh, um, I don't know what the word is, but, uh, it's different. Um, it's, it's certainly more enjoyable. The things that I'm doing now, you know, even though I'm working way more than eight hours a day, um, I, I don't consider it work. Um, you know, it's, it's an interest, it's a passion, right? And, and if you're passionate, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't actually feel like work. Um, but that, and, and I think if you're passionate, I don't, I think that also helps you not distract from your personal life. Um, you know, when I'm with my kids, I'm, I'm hundred percent with my kids, but I still might be background processing. Um, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to describe, but, um, I, I don't feel a lot of stress in my life. I can tell you that. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the things that I think about, I enjoy thinking and problem solving. So, yeah, I mean, you may you may have similar experiences as well. That I enjoy problem solving. Yeah, very uh, much. Uh, yeah. And, and I also enjoy the the part you're doing now, uh, often more than than the, the administrative uh, CEO part for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But but some people some people really like the administrative part, right? Um, and I think, you know, understanding what your strengths are um, and, and complementing those, uh, I think, is something that you've always got to look in the mirror for and, and assess. For sure, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's nice that you have the opportunity to kind of give it to someone else and still do the things you're, uh, you're passionate about, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, now what it does mean is it means I need to be conscious that I am no longer the CEO. Yeah. So that, that is something that, and it's, it's also a learning experience. So I need to support the CEO um, in the things that I'm doing. You know, and I actually think that that's been quite interesting as well because it's, it's offered me a different perspective on the company. So, you know, if, if and when I start another company, um, I think I'll actually have benefited from being the CEO and be, then being not the CEO as well. So I think there's, I think there's always learning in that as well. Yeah. You mentioned you're based in Ottawa. Is this a good place to have a startup, you think? I think, I think it's a great place. Um, I mean, I mentioned that for us, you know, Cognos is one of the big uh, companies. Um, you know, back in the day when we started the company, Nortel was was a, a massive employer here, so lots of high tech uh, talent. Uh, Nortel went under, but what what that did was it 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 spread a bunch of talent uh, throughout Ottawa that were you know they were starting to mm-hmm. do new things and explore new things. 
We have two really good universities, uh, a number of colleges that we have um, built amazing relationships with from a recruiting point of view. I think geographically, um, we're close to Toronto, Boston, New York, Montreal. Um, you know, we have good access as far as uh, uh, daylight time to Europe, to the West Coast, so California. Um, and and from, from, a, from a, a, a city point of view, um, Ottawa's amazing. Like, it, it's, it's, it's a city of a million people, but it's very livable. I, I, I love cycling. I, I cycle to work almost every single day. Um, you know, it takes me, it takes me 40 minutes, um, you know, and I live, I don't live that far away. Um, I think it's a, it's an amazing city. Uh, I think there's lots of talent. Um, the only thing, the only thing is it's too cold uh, in the winter. That's the only problem that I have with Ottawa. Yeah. You know, so, so that's something that I'm always, you know, I'm always cursing, but, uh, but the rest of it, you know, the, the positives definitely outweigh the fact that we get lots of snow and it's like minus 25. So. Mm -hmm. Slowly wrapping up, uh, what's the latest good book you've read and why did you choose to read it? <laughs> so it's actually, so, I mean, I've read a lot of business books um, and I, I tend to, I tend to switch between a business book and a non-business book. I can't read two business books. Yeah. You know, Back to back to too much. The latest one that I actually just finished yesterday is a non-business book, and I highly, highly recommend it. It's called Red Notice, and it's about um, Bill Browder, who was an investor in Russia and exposed all sorts of corruption, um, murder, um, uh, you know, legal issues um, and has really become a, a harsh critic of, of, of Russia and, and, and Putin. So it, it's a true story uh, and it's just an amazing read. And it, it does have a little bit of a, a business angle to it because he was he grew an amazing business uh, and was one of the biggest investors in Russia. So uh, just highly recommend that to, to anybody. Um, you know, who either wants a good story or is interested in, uh, in business and, uh, and relations in foreign, foreign countries. Yeah. So Red Notice by Bill Browder. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I added it to my, uh, to read list. Yeah. Now there's, there's tons of other amazing books and, and the ones that I always recommend are, you know, start with why mm -hmm. you know, that, that's an absolute must. Uh, I've often found myself citing, um, good to great, uh, I've, I've enjoyed that as well. Um, the hard things about, is it called the hard things about hard things or the, yeah, the hard thing about hard things? Yeah. Yeah. So I've read that as well. Um, I, I recently read, uh, one, um, that talks about OKRs. Uh, I forget exactly what it's called, but we've, we've implemented, uh, objectives and key results inside of portfolio. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's, there's, there's lots. And, and every time you read one of these books, it's inspiring and, and you learn something different. So lots of good stuff out there. Is, it, is there anything you know now that you wish you would have known when you started out? <laughs> uh, there's probably a million things. Um, like, you know, you, you learn something, you see something, you know, almost every day. Um, 
and, and I, I, I enjoy chatting with our co-ops and I enjoy chatting with, you know, startups in, in Ottawa or, or elsewhere because um, there's always stuff that you learn. Um, I think the one thing that I continue to, to think we should have done more in the early days is we should have taken more risks. We really should have dreamt bigger and then just acknowledge that if you have bigger dreams, you may fail more often. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, I really think, um, I mean, there's a, there's a quote that I saw, I was watching a movie on, on a plane back from California. Um, and it wasn't, a, it wasn't a business movie, but, but there was a, there was a, a, a quote or a line in this movie that was, you know, we spend our lives being told to be safe and not take risks. Um, Yet the people that we look up to and are motivated by are the ones that push the bounds. Mm -hmm. And it's true. The ones that are going to change the world, the businesses that are going to change the world are the ones that thought big, you know, and they took the risks. So I think that's really important. Um, I think there's, there's, there's a lot to be said for, for thinking bigger and taking more risks. Cool. Thank you, Alan. Uh, we'll wrap up here. Thank you again awesome. for being on Founder Coffee. It's really great to have you. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. This has been fun. That's it for this episode of Founder Coffee. We hope you liked it. Let the world know if you did. Thanks for listening, guys.